Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Well, hello, friend, and welcome back to The Conversation. Lately, I've been working on a new website, putting all my material in a new platform, and uh, it's a little tedious, I have to admit. And then to compound that, I upgraded my audio software. It was due for an update, and every time I do that, I have to retweak or reset the audio levels, and frankly, that's been a little frustrating, only because I, you know, I don't like the word frustrating. Let's use a different word. It's been challenging. It's been challenging. Our word choice has a lot to do with our internal experience. What we choose to call something kind of dictates the parameters or the experience that we're, we're embedding in our subconscious. And I have to say, I didn't know this episode was going to be about word choice, but let's make it about word choice. Why not? And I've always liked the word challenge. It's always spurred me on to be more creative, more involved, more excited about something. So what has more heaviness to it? A problem or a challenge? A problem or an issue? a problem, or an opportunity to be creative. That last one I really like. Over the years, anytime I've been faced with a a problem or an issue that has come up, you know, maybe it's a flat tire or maybe it's something really big. You know, a couple years ago when we had the pipe burst and the big freeze in Texas and rooms were flooded, it was an opportunity to be creative, to respond creatively to the situation. To me, the opportunity to be creative is a whole lot more exciting, a a whole lot more engaging than being faced with a problem. And it's not to say that I don't face problems, but I typically reframe the word to be more empowering, more engaging, so I can move on with it. I'm more oriented around finding a solution than focusing on the problem. And that, my friend, has direct ties to law of attraction because we tend to amplify that, well, not tend to, we amplify that which we focus on. And along those lines, I have great difficulty today actually using negative type of words, negatively charged words, to the point where you probably have heard it in the podcast when I refer to something that uh, someone else could call uh, terrible, horrendous, tragic, I tend to say less than a magnificent or less than amazing. And for the most part, I'm talking about mostly dinky do type stuff. If it's big, if it really impacts my life, I will sit with it and acknowledge the disappointment. I will acknowledge the anger. I will acknowledge the frustration if it shows up. And then I'll reframe it. But I always acknowledge it first because we don't want to gloss over any intense feelings because that which we resist persists. If we try and push it aside, it's still there because you cannot not think of something. And I've talked about that before. That's the spiritual bypass. Essentially not being willing to sit with a mucky muck feeling and glossing over it and going for the high feeling. So there is a fine line there, and we do want to acknowledge those intense feelings so we can release it, so we can reframe it. And sometimes, like 
I said earlier, this has been frustrating dealing with a new, you know, website, new pages, new links, and a whole plethora of new stuff. And that's probably been the, the most frustrating part of it is that it's just uncomfortably new and it's not familiar. And that is the joy of living dangerously, actually stepping outside our comfort zone. So while I can acknowledge it was frustrating, I can now begin thinking about it as being a challenge, an opportunity to be creative. And then I can also start focusing on the result, the fact that I'm going to have a new website, new website pages, a whole new experience in working with me, at least on the internet. And as I'm speaking about it, I'm thinking about it in my head, and I realize that I asked for this when I was gifted the download to create this spiritual summit, this gathering of saints in December. Uh, I ended up being a lot more active in December than I had anticipated. I was a lot busier. My schedule was a lot more packed. I actually had thought that that I was going to back off and take a little more time off. But as life would have it, as the universe would have it, I was busy most every day from morning to night. But when I was in the middle of it, it didn't seem like work. It didn't, it was fun. It was invigorating talking with all my friends, my, the different people and having two, three, four hour conversations about holy cow stuff was, uh, invigorating, and it helped expand my mind into some new places that I've really enjoyed. But as a consequence, some of my my episodes, I haven't had as many episodes since just before Christmas, because uh, I've just kind of been working through things and integrating. It's more integrating the energy, integrating uh, a new perspective. And I have not, I have to say, I have to say, I've been reticent Not reticent. What's the word? I have been lax in really pushing the boundaries with myself. And I didn't realize I'd been doing this because I like to experience something new. I like the adventure of discovery. And over the last three, four years, I don't think I've been pushing myself as much as I could have or that I have until recently. And like I said in an earlier podcast episode, just a couple before this, I've been looking at new goals, new perspectives, new intentions, and I'll be sharing those in more detail as I I begin wrapping my head around them. So far, I've just been leaning in the direction of these new intentions. Now, I have been going to the gym most every day, and that comes with its own sense of exhaustion. I've been moving my body in a new way more intensely than I guess I have in a while. And there's a certain amount of recovery period that is involved in that. But like I said, I've been leaning in the direction of these new intentions. And what I mean by that is that I haven't gotten really specific yet. I haven't created a lot of clarity around these intentions. And so I'm leaning into it and I'm creating a draft. I guess I'm. Uh, it's a rough draft. And as I get more clarity and I write them down, and there's some type of cohesive alignment in it, because to me, everything needs to be aligned with my overall intentions. And once that happens, I will definitely share it. But uh, back to these word choices. So if you're going to change your experience, I would suggest that you reframe failure. 
failure for the most part is a state of mind. And I often say there is no such thing as failure. Because when you're involved in the long game, then any little setback, any little uh, snag, and that's, I guess, a reframe or a different word for failure, it's just momentary because you just adjust, you change your approach, you learn from the, the feedback that you get, and then you readjust your approach. And so in the grand scheme of things, there is no such thing as failure, not anything that stops you unless you stop. See, you get to say, you get to say that you're unstoppable just by getting up one more time than you're knocked down and hopefully proceeding with a little more wisdom on the back end of getting up than you did before you fell down. Now, some other words that I've vaporized from my vocabulary are the words can't. I rarely, if ever, use that word. If I hear it in a conversation, I'll always put the tagline on. You know, if someone says, I can't do that, I'll say, yet. You can't yet do that. And it implies that sooner or later you could. It's just a process of learning or adapting new skills. And it's it's often brought up in conversation by clients and children and, well, other people in general. They'll say, I can't seem to lose the weight. And I'll say, yet, or so far. And as soon as I say, yet, or so far, it opens up possibility. You see, when we're stuck, it, we're typically using that word, I can't, or I don't know how. Well, you don't know how yet. You haven't yet figured it out. Sooner or later, you will. I'm sure I told the story once or twice before, but when I was learning how to write my name, I was frustrated. It just didn't seem to flow. I couldn't seem to create the letters right, and I was crying. And my dad asked me what was wrong, and I said, I can't write my name. And he said, there's no such word as can't. I'm what? I, you know, of course, my dad said this, and I'm five, and I believe my dad, and I took that as truth. There is no such word as can't. And he said, you haven't yet learned how to write your name. If you keep at it, you'll write your name. And it wasn't more than five, ten minutes later than I was writing my name like I had always written it. I think I was seven or eight years old when I was rifling through the dictionary, and I found the word. I found the word can't. And I took the dictionary to my dad, and I said, see, there is a word called can't in the dictionary. And he kind of just looked at it and said, hmm. That's a typo, a mistake. I have to say my dad did not do real well in school, but that man had a particular genius that I'm so happy that I was exposed to. Like I said earlier, there are certain words that I have avoided because of the, the their negative connotation. Let's think of them as drama-filled words. And a lot of people will use them and to amplify or to exacerbate the, the the situation to make it seem more momentous than it actually is or potentially could be. Let me say that a different way. See, a lot of people get off or they get energy from creating drama or making things seem more drama-filled than they actually are. And they'll use words such as devastating, horrendous, horrible, horrific, and I've learned when these people use these words, they're vying for your attention. They're trying to rob you of their energy. 
They want the attention. You see them on social media, too. They'll just post this. I'm so devastated, dot, dot, dot. Or my world just ended, or my heart is broken. That calls in the, the, save, the people with the savior complex. What happened? What, what's wrong? Are you okay? And there, the strategy worked. It pulled these people out of their day-to-day to inquire, what's wrong? What's going on with your life? And they walk away with the attention. They walk away with the energy. They typically play the poor me, the victim, in the situation. Look at how unfair life is. Woe is me. These are the same people that if they have a rough day at work, they'll say, it was horrible. It was horrendous. Or that was traffic. Traffic was horrendous. Or it was miserable. And right away, you have their attention. Oh, you poor thing. If you were to use my approach, you know, traffic was a little challenging. Traffic was a little heavy. Tough day at work. It was a little busier than normal. You see, those responses don't get any uh, sympathy. You know, it's like you got it handled. But if you're a person that uses these uh, drama-filled words, you create a lot of drama. You create a lot of misery and agony in your life that doesn't need to be there. If you were to begin, I guess, using softer words, less charged words to describe your day, you're going to change your experience of life. I've also shifted how I talk about when people make me angry. Not that they can make me angry, but when I get angry in dealing with them, I caught myself there taking responsibility for my feelings. But when I typically talk about it with other people, I don't use the word anger or they angered me. I'll say something like they irritated me or it was irritating dealing with them. It was frustrating in that conversation. I couldn't seem to get my point across. Another response I've adopted over the years, I stole from Mr. Spock from Star Trek, the original Star Trek. Now, Mr. Spock was a Vulcan, a non-human And they prided themselves on mastering their emotions, not over-responding. And, of course, you had a character in the show, Dr. McCoy, that was overly dramatic about just about everything. And any time there was an emotional outburst or something that was uh, potentially emotionally charged, Spock would say, fascinating, how interesting. And so instead of overreacting to a situation, you respond with curiosity and fascination. Now, when I was a kid growing up, there weren't a lot of resources to be had, not a lot of money, not a lot of disposable money lying around or being ready and willing to be used for me. And so often I would hear, we can't afford that, or we don't have the money for that. And what I realized is that we can find the money for just about anything that we're really committed to have. So instead of saying, I can't afford it, or we can't afford it, or we don't have the money for that, we say, I choose not to spend my money on that, or I have other priorities right now. That is not a significant desire. Or I'm allocating my resources to other places in my life. If I really wanted it, I could find the money. I could find the resources to have that. And so what I'm doing when I talk about it that way is I'm taking away the limitation and I make it a choice. I'm just choosing not to buy that. 
You see, over the years, I have developed an aversion to limitation. And so any place that I feel there's a limitation being imposed or a scarcity imposed, then I want to create options. I want to create possibilities. For instance, my oldest boy was a little bit uh, irritated that a, a young woman that he had texted hadn't responded in a couple days. And he was on the verge of becoming rather indignant, like, I'm just going to not communicate back to her. And he took it personal, and we do that when someone doesn't respond to us. And I asked him, how many different reasons could you come up with on why someone might not text you back right away? Because we're assuming that it's a choice, but maybe it's not a choice. Maybe there's something else going on. You see, I always lean in the direction that there's something else going on because why would someone not communicate with me? Maybe they're extremely busy. Maybe they have some family emergency going on. Maybe they lost their phone. Maybe they dropped the phone in the toilet or in a bowl of water and it's not working right now. Maybe they had it on silent, misplaced it, it fell down between the cushions and it ran out of battery. And it took them a week to actually find the phone. You see, these are all things that happened to me at one point or another, and they're in the realm of possibility. Yet how often do we lean towards the direction that it's all about us? It's like they're, they're not communicating with us because I did something wrong or they don't like us. Now, I, I have the benefit of growing up during a time when you did not have ready access to people you wanted to talk to someone. It might take you two, three, four days to connect with them because they weren't sitting around the phone. And if the phone was off the hook or they were busy, you couldn't get them. There was no answering machines. There wasn't necessarily even a phone available most of the time. If you were out and about, there might be a payphone on a corner, but then they're not all that convenient. And so perhaps maybe, maybe I have a little bit easier time giving someone the benefit of the doubt or not being, I guess, freaked out if I don't get a response right away. So if I don't hear from them right away, I give people the benefit of the doubt that they have something more important going on, more interesting going on than getting back to me. And I have found too, I need to consider how old is the person that I'm communicating with. Because I've found, and this is just a gross generalization, that if you're 40 and younger, that you tend to have a more relaxed attitude around communicating and how fast you get back with somebody and whether or not uh, you give all the information up front or you wait for people to ask the relevant questions. Like you make people work for the communication. And I know that's generalization, but uh, I'll stick with that. So I could probably go on and on about different words, word choices. And I, I just want you to begin assessing the words that you use. Are they drama filled? Could they, could you use something that is less intense that, you know, what is the response, the feeling response when you use a particular word and you might enlist the help of a loved one, a comrade or a friend to assist you in this. Are there any words that I use that uh, kind of blow things out of proportion? Might be more dramatic than is needed. How do you feel after describing an experience? Do you feel like you have possibility at hand or is it limitation? Does the way you're describing things expand possibility, expand the conversation, or does it limit possibility? 
Or in other words, does it imply scarcity, lack, insufficiency? Now, there's an argument from the people that tend to be a little more pessimistic. They say that they're being realistic, that they're being, you know, accurate. They're just talking about the facts. Well, not necessarily. Let's take the proverbial glass of water. Is it half full or half empty? Either way is skewing the facts. If you're really accurate, you would say that's a 16-ounce tumbler and there's about 8 ounces of water in the glass. Just the facts, ma'am. So if someone looks in the mirror and says, I'm fat, that is a judgment. When in actuality, we can say that person or that person I'm looking at in the mirror weighs 192 pounds. And so when we're describing a situation, are we embellishing the facts? Are we adding to it, making it more colorful, more dramatic than it needs to be? Well, that's it for this episode. This is Daniel Danovi urging you to follow your bliss. Live your life from inner signals. Be inner-directed as you engage in the epic adventure. Oh, 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 oh